It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, Scott gave me the opportunity to kind of uh, do my own thing this morning, and so um, I decided to do what I would call a message called do-overs. Have you ever needed a do-over in your life? A couple of weeks ago, I needed a do-over, I got to tell you. Um, it was, we were just getting ready to go on vacation. We were going to drive down to the valley to, uh, to go to the airport, and uh, my niece was taking care of our dog in our house. And if you know anything about our driveway, um, we would normally back out of the garage into this area, and then we pull out. Well, um, so we typically, as a couple, we pray before we leave. And um, so we were in the garage, and my wife said, honey, let's pray before we go and just ask for God's protection on I-17 and blah, blah, blah. So, so we prayed, and I said, amen, backed out, bam! I backed right into my nephew's car. And uh, you can see the beauty of my uh, rear bumper there. And, of course, the first things that came out of my mouth was, Honey, why didn't you tell me? Wrong. (laughs) Wrong thing to do. You know, what's interesting, when you have something like that break, you know, something like that can be fixed and you can do it over. But sometimes in relationships, it's not as easy, right? And um, so this morning, you know, maybe you're struggling with those woulda, shoulda, couldas, you know, especially if you've been along in your journey in life. And so there are oftentimes regrets, you know, regrets maybe about a financial decision that you made. I remember I bought a piece of swamp property in Florida when I was a kid. (laughs) Dumb. Uh, Was it a failed relationship? Was it a promise that you failed to keep or an unfulfilled commitment? Was it an opportunity that you missed? Was it falling into some temptation? Was it poor health decision? Or in anger, you said something you wished you hadn't. Those are the woulda, shoulda, coulda moments in your life, aren't they? And you can think back in your life, and and some of these things are maybe little regrets, like I wish I would have done that, and it wasn't life-changing, but there are a lot of relational regrets, perhaps, that you have in your background that you wish you could do it over. You wish you could do it over. Well, this morning we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 3, because we're going to see how the children of Israel had an opportunity to do a do-over. They had to do a do-over because 40 years earlier, if you remember the story, Moses had taken the people out of Egypt, and they had come to the confrontation of the Jordan River, and they refused to enter the land because Moses took 12 spies, took them into the land, right, if you remember the story, and out of the 12 spies that came back from spying out the promised land, 10 out of the 12 said, no, we're not going. There was an obstacle of fear there. They saw that the people in the land were giants in their eyes. They were heavily fortified. And so consequently, they said, nope, we aren't going. What was the result of that? Forty years of wandering. Forty years of regret. Well, now we want to come to a stage in the life of the children of Israel this morning where we see Joshua coming to uh, taking over the leadership of the children of Israel. And now they're at the Jordan River once again. Only there's a new approach because this time they didn't blow it. And so the big idea I want to share with you this morning is this. When God gives us a second chance, don't blow it. Don't blow it. God gave the children of Israel a second chance. Why didn't they blow it the second time? I think there's some great truths here that we can glean from what Joshua did and what the children of Israel did so that when we get a second chance, we don't blow it. So the first point I want to make with you this morning is this. So we need to identify the the barriers that keep us from missing the opportunity. 
What were the barriers of the children of Israel? Well, obviously, fear was a big barrier. I think making decisions by committee was probably a barrier. So the majority ruled. I want you to notice the difference in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he says. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. I want you to see a difference here. When Moses sent the spies in, he sent 12 guys in, one representing each from the tribe of Israel, right? He sends them in by committee, and those 12 guys went in and came back with a report. In this case, he secretly sends out two spies, and it wasn't a matter of whether they were going to go. It was just a matter of when they were going to go. Big difference. Joshua took the bull by the horns and changed the way that they... Uh, uh, that they approached the obstacles that were in their way. You see, if we wait for all the right circumstances to be everybody on board, sometimes those decisions that we make will never happen. And in this case, Joshua realized that he needed to take control as a leader because he was already challenged by God. If you remember in chapter 1 where he said, Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because wherever you're going to set your foot in the terms of the promised land, I'm going to give it to you. So Joshua had the confidence to make that decision. And so he told the children of Israel to get ready. So I don't know what your obstacles were in your past with some of those regrets. My obstacle happened to be a car getting in the way. But there are often obstacles in our lives that we can look back on with some regrets. And maybe those obstacles for you, it was fear at the time. Maybe it was an impulsiveness. Maybe it was just simply immaturity. Maybe it was peer pressure like what happened with the children of Israel. Or maybe it was just some sort of opposition that was out there that you failed to take the challenge that God had set before you. Well, Joshua changed the tenor of the, of the situation after 40 years of wandering And so we see that the next step that Joshua took in challenging the children of Israel was this. And this is the second point I want to make with you this morning. Never take your eyes off of the Lord. Look at what he says in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. What Joshua was saying is, don't take your eyes off of the Lord. The only way you're going to know which way to go is to keep your eyes on him. And what happens is sometimes when we have regrets in our life, when we have situations in the past where we've had the woulda, shoulda, couldas, I'll guarantee you probably nine times out of ten, we took our eyes off the Lord. And Joshua wanted to remind them, look, the Ark of the Covenant was that representation of God's presence in, the, in, their, in their lives. And if they, didn't, if they took their eyes off of the Lord, they were going to fail. You remember Peter walking on the water? Remember there was an incredible... Uh, storm and then Jesus comes looking towards the boat walking on the water and Peter's the first guy to jump out of the boat which was impetuous Peter right and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus he didn't have a problem but as soon as he took his eyes off of the Lord he started to sink and so as you look back in your life was it those moments that maybe you didn't have your eyes on the Lord and maybe that's why there's a regret there maybe that's why you needed a do-over 
Well, thirdly, here's what Joshua did in terms of his approach to make sure that they didn't blow it. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. He wants them to clean up their own act. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Point number three is we need to clean up our own act before we have a second opportunity. Well, what does that look like for them? For them, they needed to consecrate themselves. They needed to prepare their hearts. They needed to abstain from sexual contact with their, with their spouse during this period of time. They wanted totally undistracted attention put on the Lord. They needed to do some sort of confession or repentance, but somehow, some way, these people need to prepare their hearts before they cross that, that, that barrier in their life. And when we have an opportunity to do it over again, we need to consecrate ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. I had an opportunity to do that with my wife because a few days later, she was very hurt by my comment, obviously. I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, you know, that really hurt because it wasn't my fault. And he said, I've tried to tell you before when there's something behind us like that, and you've been pretty angry about it and say, I got this. So I said, I kept my mouth shut. And said, now you blame me for it. And I said, well, honey, I really didn't want to blame you. I was just mad at myself. And she said, but it felt like you blamed me. So I had to apologize. I had to consecrate myself. That was my do-over. And for many of us, sometimes we forget that a lot of our regrets are a result of doing something stupid or going back through our life. And maybe the first thing we need to do is to get our act together, to clean up our own act. Joshua wanted these people to have a come-to-Jesus moment. And they did, and they got ready. Here's the fourth thing that I see here in this particular passage. And that is to find confidence in God's presence. Here's what it says. Here's what it says in Joshua chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that you will know, get that, that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Who knows, maybe some parasites. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you these people. You see what Joshua is saying, listen, God gave me a promise and you can go with certainty that God's going to drive these people out. See, when we keep, we clean up our act and we don't take our eyes off the Lord, we can find a lot of confidence in God's presence. No matter what the obstacle, no matter what the opportunity is out there, if we understand that God's presence is there with us, it gives us the confidence and courage to face whatever obstacles that are out there. There are so many promises that we can grab onto when we think about this. Where scripture tells us that I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says, right? He says all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We are more than conquerors. There are tons of promises that we can claim when we get that second opportunity to realize that God hasn't abandoned us and that he wants to go with us and we can be confident that whatever happens there, that we've done the right thing and that God is present and that he's still there. He's still on the throne. He's still powerful. And so Joshua is reminding these people, just in case you feel a little bit scared about this, folks, remember, God is certainly with us. And Joshua had that moment with God before he came to them, and so he wanted to pass that courage and confidence on to these people. 
Find confidence in God's presence. Sometimes we think that in the moment of regret, if you look back, you wonder if you found confidence in God's presence. Well, the next step I see here is really, really, really important. And that is taking the next step. You see, if we get a second opportunity, we can wait all day long and not take the next step. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a, with a good friend um, where, where, well, let me give you the scripture first, taking the next step. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 3 says, pick up your possessions and move out. And so in verses 14 and 15, it says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is that flood stage, which uh, from what I could tell research-wise, it was up at least 12 feet above, above the uh, level. Of, of, and so it was in major flood stage. So this is quite a challenge for them. And if you go to the Jordan River today, it's nothing like that. I mean, it's, it's hardly a trickling brook, it seems like, in places. But, but nonetheless, at this point in, in the time, this was quite a challenge. He said, yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. Somebody had to take a step. And in this case, it was the priest. It was the spiritual leader who took the step. And I'm reminded of the uh, the fact that in, in our lives, as men, especially in your household, as a father, as a husband as a grandparent, as a grandfather, whatever, we are the spiritual leaders. And oftentimes when, when there's regret and when there's been obstacles, I think that you guys should be the first ones to take that step in the water. As a leader of your home, as a spiritual leader in your relationship, you're the one that should be stepping out in faith. You're the one that should be putting your foot in the water to see if the water's part. But taking a step has to occur. I, I go back to what I was sharing a little bit ago. I was with a friend of mine uh, the other day. Um, he's a retired deputy. And uh, so we were having lunch together. And he has about two years to live. He has uh, cancer of the bone of his spine. Great guy. And um, he was telling me a story about him and his sister. And I said, well, what, what was that about? And she said, well, you know, I had a stepsister, a half-sister. And back in the day when I was a teenager... She was a, maybe four or five years old, and we were buds. I would take her on dates. We would go together. I mean, we were just really, really close, and I really looked after her. And he said, when I turned in my 20s, I got selfish, and I, and I abandoned her completely. And back that day, and now this guy's probably in his 60s, 40 years ago, his sister still hasn't spoken to him because of his abandonment. And I said to him, I said, do you think it's too late? We're talking 40 years. But I said, he said, well, you know, she hasn't talked, spoken to me in 40 years. I said, have you thought about giving her a phone call? Have you thought about taking the opportunity to apologize to her? Because you admitted to me that you were selfish at that time and you really did abandon her and you really hurt her. You know, sometimes it's never too late to take the next step. And in this case... I'm praying that he will follow through and take that. You know, what happens is oftentimes is we allow our emotions to drive the train. And a lot of the reason why we have regrets and we have the woulda, shoulda, couldas is because our emotions have driven the train. Let me just uh, show you. Do you have that uh, illustration of the the train, Kelly? 
You know, there's a... These are, this is a great illustration. Some of you have probably seen this before. But the first, the engine that drives the train should be facts. Scripture says that we should fix our mind on what's true and pure and lovely and right. Correct? And then the second part of the train is that we, out of those facts, we step out in faith. And then our feelings follow. What happens to a lot of us, the reason why we have the woulda, shoulda, couldas and the do-overs is because our feelings have been driving the train. Right? How many of us get stuck when we take our next step with our emotions rather than based upon the facts in a step of faith? And in this case, the children of Israel, rather than allow their emotions of fear to keep them from crossing, they decided to base it on the facts that God was present with them and they stepped out in faith and the waters parted. So a lot of our regrets are because our emotions have been driving the train. Here's the sixth thing that I see here. Memorize or memorialize your obedience. Memorialize your obedience. Look at what it says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israel, Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be mem- memorial to the people of Israel forever. See, what Joshua knew about the children of Israel after hanging out with them for 40 years is that they so quickly forget when God does something really special. And so he says, let's pile up some stones as a reminder so that when your kids get older and they ask you what in the world those stones are about, it's when God did something amazing in our lives. And I think what happens is sometimes when when we get a second chance, we forget how God is really redeem the situation and so he says remember these have those memorials in your life it's easy to forget blessings and what joshua wanted to remind them to do if you get a second opportunity don't forget it god's a god of second opportunities amen Amen. i mean he he gave us a chance right Is there something in your life that you would wish you could do over? You know, I thought about this a little bit, and I thought, you know, there are a lot of people in this room that are my age, and you're further down the road. It reminds me of an illustration that I picked up this week. It was about a guy who played football in 1929. His name was Roy Regals. He played for Cal, and there was a football game, between Cal and Georgia Tech. And in the first half, there was a fumble. Roy picked up the ball and ran to the wrong goal line and scored a touchdown for the other team. Unbelievable. So at halftime, the coach and the team goes into the locker room, and they could see Roy over there with a towel over his face, crying tears, totally humiliated, totally embarrassed, and really, really upset. He said, man, I really screwed up. Well, 
The timekeeper came in and said, there are three minutes to go before you need to go back out on the field. And the coach said to the team, they said, you know, team, um, we're going to play the same 12, 11 guys that we started out with for the second half. And so the team moves out of the locker room except for one guy. Roy was sitting over on a bench with a towel over his head. And the coach said, Roy, what's up? He said, coach, I can't go out there. I humiliated the entire university. I can't go out there. There's no way. And he said, son, there's a second half to play. He said, you get out there and you play. And according to the team of Georgia Tech, they said they've never seen a guy play with such reckless abandon in the second half of a football game in their entire life. See, for a lot of us, a lot of us are in our third and fourth quarters of our life. We're, we're in the second half. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you maybe think back in your day of parenting and you've got a child or a kid, adult child that, that, that just isn't walking with the Lord and you have those regrets because, you know, back then I just didn't have my act together. I wasn't sure about the way I was parenting. Or, or you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, when you look back over your life, when you get to be older, I mean, many of you are boomers in here and you think back of, over your life and you say, oh, man. If I just would have done this, or if I just would have said that, or if I just would have been a better role model, or if I just would have spent more time with my kids instead of at work, and you go back and you look at it, and sometimes, really, our grandkids are oftentimes our second chance. And we don't realize how much impact we can have as a grandparent in a kid's life. So I want to remind you, the second half is still need to be played, and it's never too late to do a do-over. I had that happen in my own life many years ago. Many years ago, there was a, a man in my neighborhood, my community. I was working on the farm at the time, and I don't even remember his name right now, but I do remember that God had put on my heart because he was dying of cancer that I wanted to go and share the gospel with him before he passed away. And so I made a commitment, God, I want to go do this. I procrastinated and it wasn't before long I heard this announcement that he had passed away. And man, I felt so bad. I, I just thought, God, you know, I, I blew it here. I, I just blew it. I, I, you know, I'm never going to let that happen again. And then a couple of years later, I was making a hospital visit as a pastor. And I heard about a boy across the hall from me who had serious problems with liver cancer. He was only like 15 years old. His name was Mike. And I went into his room, and I realized, I mean, this kid was jauntist. It was clear he was down to skin and bones. And for some reason, his parents were telling him he was going to get better. And even the doctors seemed to want to encourage him by saying he was going to get better. And it was just obvious to me that this kid didn't have much more time to live. And so I got pretty honest with him, unfortunately. But I, I felt like compelled to just tell Michael that he needed Jesus in his life. And that he may not have very many days to live. And I was the first person that was baby basically being pretty honest with him. And he was pretty angry and he kicked me out of his room. He said, you need to leave. I got to the door and I grabbed the door handle. I was just about ready to walk out of his room. And he said, wait, come back. I turned around and I went back and Mike asked me some more questions. 
in a few minutes, I led him to Jesus. I get goosebumps thinking about it. And I remember leaving there and remembering that guy that I failed to share with. And it was my second chance. And I didn't blow it. And I know when I shared this on Thursday with the staff, I know Scott asked me, he said, was there a memorial that you had there? And I said, you know, I didn't have a memorial, but I do remember this, and I'll never forget it. I got in the elevator to leave the hospital, and he was on the third floor, and I went down. And as the elevator drops down, you know how hard it is to jump up when you're in an elevator? I jumped up. I I was just so excited. You know, every time I get in an elevator now, I think about Michael. That's my memorial. I realize that. That's my memorial. And so I thank God that I didn't blow it. You know, what are some next steps that you think about do-overs? Let me give you some ideas here this morning. Number one is this. Remember, it's never too late to look for a second chance. It's never too late. I don't care how old we are, how many bridges we burn behind us. It's never too late. And maybe God's prompting you this morning to say, you know what? Maybe I need to go back. Maybe I need to reconcile with that person. Maybe, maybe I need to, to, to apologize. Maybe, maybe it's not too late to really have that relationship with my adult child or, or, or my grandkids or whatever it is. That broken relationship. Here's the second next step. Identify your do-over and take the step. What is it that you need to do over? And instead of allowing your emotions to drive the train, take the next step in faith, recognizing that God's presence is with you, and if it doesn't have a good result, it doesn't matter. It's you about being you obedient to what God's calling you to do. So take the next step. Don't blow it. Take the next step. Third, consider somebody or something you have written off that needs a second chance. Maybe somebody has blown you off at some point. They've hurt you. They've rejected you. They've said some things. And you've not given them an opportunity to redeem themselves either. And maybe it's time that you think about applying a little of God's mercy and grace in their life. Do-overs. Aren't you glad that we have a relationship with Jesus, a love relationship, where he's given us time and time again the opportunity for do-overs? And maybe it's time for us to give somebody else an opportunity, a do-over in their life as well. Would you pray with me this morning? God, it took the people of Israel 40 years to figure it out. 40 years. And for some of us, God, maybe it's been 40 years. As we look back in our lives where we have some regrets. Some would have, should have, could have. But, oh, God, I know that if it's possible, there are opportunities for us. Maybe in the same vein or in the same situation like you gave me, 
So I pray, God, that whatever you're putting on people's hearts this morning, that they would take the next step. I pray especially for the men in the room who are supposed to be the spiritual leader. God, help them be the big enough man to man up sometimes and take that step of faith that needs to be taken. May they be the ones to put their foot in the water. And God, as I did with my wife in apologizing to her, and I'm so grateful that she gave me a second chance. So thank you, Jesus, for these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.